Hey there, welcome to the Pretty Little Tribe podcast, a space to talk about all things life, fertility, parenthood, and everything in between. My name is Elizabeth. I am an international fertility coach, ICF certified life coach, birth and bereavement doula, and new parent educator. Join us as we support the tribe throughout their journey from conception to bringing your new baby home and everything along the way. See you in the episode. everyone. Welcome back to the Pretty Little Tribe podcast. I'm so happy to have Ashley Prophet here from the Joyful Morning podcast. I actually was on her podcast recently and in, you know, us chatting a little bit thought she would be really inspirational for a portion of you guys that are listening that may need to hear this today. So welcome, Ashley. Thank you for taking your time to be here with us today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah. So first of all, we, you emailed me this morning and in your bio, it mentions that you have five children. Somehow I did not know that. And (laughs) I was floored. My, my mouth always drops to the floor, but God bless for five kids. Oh my gosh, I cannot even do three. So how do you manage that? And what are their ages? Yeah. So, um, so we have four here on earth and one in heaven. So I'm sure what we're going to talk about that a little bit, but um, my oldest is 14 and a half. So we're in like the, um, mm-hmm. taking driver's ed season of life and learner's permit. Like Fun. so bizarre. Um, nobody trains you for that season of life. Like it's such a bizarre, like transition. Right. Um, and then I have an 11, almost 12 year old. And then I have a nine and a half year old. Um, and then I have our sweet baby who is two, she just turned two in December. So um, we've got a big age gap there that I was terribly afraid of. Like, what have we done? We have ruined our children, our big kids. Um, this is going to be just so difficult. Um, and it has been the sweetest thing. So that's a side note. If anybody is considering, you know, trying again, and there's a big age gap and they're worried about it, it has been a sweet, sweet surprise blessing. So, Aww, yeah, that so is that's, amazing. That's yeah. so I am seven years from my last sibling myself. And, okay. you know, after seven years is when they actually consider you an only child again. Yeah. Yeah. Order essentially. But I tell people all the time, like my sisters are my best friends and it's been the best thing. I remember them taking me to the beach when we were, when I was little and they always let me tag along everywhere with them. And, um, I have nothing but great memories of being the youngest with them, but at the same time, I don't even remember living in the same house as my oldest sister. Yeah. So there are some differences, but at the same time, I think that now it's, you know, it all works out when everybody's older, especially, but, um, so were you trying for that last baby? No, no, nope. And because of the nature of the work that I do with the joyful morning podcast, and I founded an organization organization called the morning. So we create resources and content specifically for women who have experienced pregnancy or infant loss. And so because of the nature of that work, uh, I am privy to far more things and information about everything that could go wrong. Uh, almost like a doctor, I'm not a doctor, but I know all these things that I, I just wish didn't exist. And I wish no woman would ever have to know about. And so 
I was really grateful to start this work after we thought we were done having children. And so when I found out I was pregnant with her, I, um, quickly had probably, uh, multiple panic attacks. <laughs> I, there was just a lot of fear surrounding my pregnancy with her, a mm-hmm. lot of fear. Um, and even though there was no reason to have any fear, meaning there was nothing, you know, there was no, um, there's no signs of anything wrong. There was nothing um, tangibly that I could put my finger on to point to for having that fear. I still was just consumed by it because I just knew of all the risks um, involved with having children. So yeah, um, it's to your point, it's one of those, it's a blessing and a curse in this day and age too, where people know so much about Mm -hmm. the, the risks and, and whatnot that can happen. But at the same time, you know, you have a beautiful two-year-old. So, and how old were you when you had your, this little one? I was 36. So I was considered, um, what did they call it? Geriatric. Geriatric. Yep. (laughs) Um, and so I actually switched from a normal, um, you know, OBGYN to, um, a midwife birth center. And my hope was to actually have her at this birth center away from a hospital. Um, And it was funny because when I first met with the midwives there, I said, you know, do I have to have extra visits because, you know, I'm labeled this geriatric pregnancy. What is it? Geriatric. That's just what it's called. Geriatric pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And they were like, no, we don't believe in that here. (laughs) I don't know if that's across the board, if it was just there, but she was like, we had a woman just have a baby at 51. Her first baby was at 51. And then she had another healthy, beautiful baby at 52. And we don't think that that's real. (laughs) Okay. Well, anyway, there was, there's a lot more to that and a lot more science behind that and their reasoning for saying that. But, um, I, I did, there were a lot of, there were significantly more fears because of my age and because of what I had been told for a Mm -hmm. long time. And so those midwives actually helped to alleviate some of that. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, the, the tide with that is definitely changing. And I think that's something that we can really start to talk about more and more is that, Mm -hmm. that age old fear around age, so to speak, is now going away because we are taking better care of our bodies than we have ever have before. And so 36, 41, even 51, 52, it sounds like (laughs) is not necessarily the, that age that they were you know, the previous generation before us. So I think that's a good reminder to anyone who's listening, who's feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm, you know, getting to over 35. And what is that going to mean? It really doesn't mean much anymore. And I think it's a matter Mm -hmm. of time before the medical side of things moves that um, geriatric number to a little older because they are realizing that they really don't need any additional help unless there's something else that's underlying a pre-existing condition or something else that um, comes up through their pregnancy, maybe um, placenta previa or diabetes or whatever it may be that, um, but really it's kind of not really a conversation anymore that needs to be had around this advanced maternal yeah. age or geriatric so much. So yeah, I, I wanted to start our conversation mm-hmm. with that because so many people who have had miscarriage or stillborn loss or early infant loss are really searching for hope and really don't even know which way is up sometimes. I'm mm-hmm. a bereavement doula and got into that myself from 
helping people through late term miscarriages and realizing, you know, even from that, and then going to helping people from stillbirth situations, it's so different than having an early term miscarriage, not to discount the early term miscarriage, because that's so painful as well. But can you walk us through your experiences with both of those and kind of how you got to where you are today and, and help people through their own path through what your situation has been? Yeah. So, uh, my husband and I were married in 2005 and I was still in college. He's older than I am. So it made sense at the time. It's funny in hindsight saying like I was still in college. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, and we surprising, we were not trying to have a baby during that time, that first year of our marriage, because I was still in school. Um, and we, we did get pregnant and, um, I was so scared at the beginning only because I was, I felt like I was too young. And anyway, I have a lot of insecurities, I guess, around getting <laughs> pregnant and when the right time is and all of those things. And so, um, I, that fear quickly turned into excitement, like within, you know, weeks, I was just so excited to have a baby and, um, around nine weeks, I was around nine weeks and we were on our first anniversary, um, celebrating. We were literally it's like celebrating. We were at a restaurant and I went to the bathroom and, um, I noticed signs of miscarriage. And I remember just feeling so devastated and so confused, even initially, like it wasn't even confirmed that we were having a miscarriage at that point, but I, I knew I felt in my spirit that that's mm -hmm. what was happening. Um, and that kind of catapulted us that, that loss was very real, very real. Um, and like you said, one, I don't know if you said exactly like this, but one loss is not more important. Um, one, I believe that all life is valuable. And so, um, no matter how long a baby lives, whether in utero or outside of utero, like that life had and has value. And so grief. I didn't, I don't, I didn't know what grief looked like. Again, I was very young and none of my friends were married or even beginning to think about having a family at that point and starting a family journey. And so, um, the grief process for that, that loss was very different than what would happen later on. And, and even how I would probably counsel women today who experience a first trimester miscarriage. Um, I didn't really give myself the space to grieve. Um, I didn't know how to talk about it. I didn't, I didn't feel the freedom to be really sad because I got all the trite answers like, well, you're so young. Um, or, oh, wow. At least, you know, you can get pregnant. Um, none of that was helpful, but it, oh. it, it induced, um, actually it induced guilt in me like, oh, okay, well, I guess I should be okay. I guess I shouldn't be sad. And so that's all kind of, I knew about how to handle that. And, um, what it did do was help my husband and I see that we really did actually want to start a family sooner than we thought. And so, um, as soon as the doctor gave the green light, we began, um, trying to have a baby. And I remember those few months in between our miscarriage and getting pregnant again, were very, um, emotionally painful because I just want to get pregnant. I just wanted a baby. And, um, that would be a story of ours for a few years, actually. Um, 
even in between getting pregnant and having a healthy baby, just this, when I wanted it, it just was a hard, waiting is hard, right? No matter how long it is. Um, anyway, waiting, that waiting season is hard. And I think part of it is after loss, that waiting season is extra hard. There's like an extra layer because you just want your baby, right? Like you, your body, your heart, your soul, all of it was like preparing for a baby. And now the baby is gone and now you just want your baby. So it almost seems like you yearn for it more. Absolutely. Not that you don't, you aren't, not that you aren't previous to that again, like, but there's something different that Mm -hmm. is you're trying to achieve or yearn for it. It's really hard Mm -hmm. to put into words, but it's like, you're trying to get back something that you had before. Whereas when you're trying initially, you don't really have the, the concept of what it was. And as soon as you have that positive pregnancy test, you start writing that story. And so you're trying to get that story back again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's true. As I say, the moment you see a positive pregnancy test is the moment that something shifts in your heart. And whether or not that pregnancy lasts for a short amount of time, or you see a living baby on the other end, your heart as a mother has shifted forever. Like something changes. Um, and so we, we did begin trying again, as soon as the doctor said, okay. And then, um, however many months later, um, three or four months later, I was able to get pregnant with my oldest son who is Andrew. And so he, he's the 14 and a half year old I was telling you about. Um, he's wonderful. I love him so much. Um, when he was around six months old, he had, he had a very difficult first few months of life. Um, not for any reason other than probably I was very prideful about how great of a mom I was going to be. <laughs> and God just said, well, let's see about that. <laughs> and he was kind of a disaster those first, um, six months. Um, he finally started sleeping and for longer stretches than a few minutes. And, um, I must have ovulated somewhere in there and I didn't know because I was fe- breastfeeding him and also in a sleep deprivation state. And so, Um, we got pregnant again and we, again, it was this moment where we were not planning. Um, I felt completely out of control and, um, again, I'm sleep deprived. I'm scared. Like I can't even at this moment, I remember so clearly I went to the grocery store and this is right after I've taken the pregnancy test and I see that it's positive and I've got this six month old baby who I love so much, but who has just like wrecked our world in a million different ways in great ways. Right. Which just, just as a side note, you can long for something so much and you can get that. Yes. And it can still be hard and it's okay for it to still be hard. That's, I just want to throw that out there. So I longed for him. I loved him so much, but it was still very challenging. Um, so I have this positive pregnancy test and I'm at the grocery store with my very young son who's still in a car seat. Like he's not even sitting up in the grocery cart. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just start crying because I'm thinking, how am I going to put two babies in a grocery cart? (laughs) I like logistics, right? Logistics. And guys, this is like, Mm -hmm. man, moms today have it a little bit easier because we can do grocery order online and then we can go pick it up. And I don't, you don't, I don't even have to leave my car now. And I'm just like, man, this is amazing. But back then all those (laughs) many years ago, I just could not wrap my head around the logistics of having two very small boys, 
but it was very similar to my first pregnancy in that, that fear and all of those questions about how this is going to work gave way so quickly to, oh my, I'm going to have two little babies so close in age and they are going to be the best of friends. And I, that is still a tender part of my heart because, um, our son Aiden was born, um, you know, eight months later. And so we have these two precious boys who are, um, like 15 months apart, 16 months apart. And, um, I just, I, that those weeks of Aiden's life were like the sweetest of my whole life. And I, I don't know if that's like God protecting me from like, I don't remember how, like the insanity Mm -hmm. or the sleeplessness, or if it really just was that sweet. Um, but it it was all my dreams had come true. I thought this is just perfect. These boys will be best friends. They were almost going to be like twins. I mean, it was just going to be the most fun. Um, when he was six weeks old, um, uh, just a few days from being six weeks old, um, I found him, I had, I had got, I woke up in the morning and I was like, he didn't wake me up to feed him at the time he should have. And I, you know, went into his room and he was not breathing. And, mm. um, that obviously is a really traumatic, awful story. And I can actually share a link to a podcast episode where I share that story okay, in depth. Um, but I think there's so much that I could share about that. And maybe there's some questions that would be helpful, but, um, that threw us into grieving in a new way and a different way than I had before with our miscarriage. And like you said, all life is valuable. This was a different loss though. This was a different kind of loss in that I had met him. I had birthed him, right? I had spent nine months with him. I birthed him. I had fed him. He was a perfectly healthy baby boy. His death would be, um, titled or named classified as, um, SIDS. They actually added another letter in there. Um, but there, there's no known causes of unknown causes. And, um, that grief has been, years of like working through (laughs) and, um, there are pieces of that story that still feel tender. Like I just said, to talk about, um, I recently was sharing with a group of women, um, some things that I had never shared. So this is 13 years ago. He, he died, um, November 15th. It would have been 13 years ago. And, um, there are pieces of that that still feel hard. And then there's pieces of that that I can talk about and not cry. And, um, I think that that's a, um, something that's misunderstood about grief and even in baby loss is that all parts of it are hard to talk about and all parts are really sad. And, um, but there are parts of his story that are really beautiful and, um, it's not all sad. It's not all bad. Um, so we would go on to have our son Asher, um, months later. And, and that's in that season, what I was mentioning, just that, that waiting and how difficult that waiting can be. Um, I just wanted a baby. So I, I wanted my son, I wanted Aiden. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't, I couldn't, and have the wherewithal to understand that that's what I was seeking after. And I didn't have anyone around me who could be like, Ashley, I think it might be wise to wait. Um, and I would give counsel now to myself and say, I think it would be wise to wait. Obviously God knew what was best for us. And we have Asher and I 
man, I wouldn't do, I would never not do that again. Right. For him. Um, but the, that was his pregnancy was very difficult. Even more difficult was the newborn stage of his life. Um, I didn't get counseling or therapy for many years afterwards. And there's a variety of reasons for that. Um, so I entered into another season of having a newborn in my home as a person who had a lot of grief and a lot of trauma that had been yeah. undealt with. Um, Do you know, can you put your, well, you said that there are a lot of reasons why you didn't seek help. Can you share some of those and also why you would do it maybe differently now mm -hmm. or encourage somebody else to do it differently now? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so my husband is a pastor and we, so just backing up just a little bit, uh, right around the time that I had gotten pregnant with my son, Aiden, we had actually decided that we were going to move from Virginia where we lived to Florida to start a new church. And we had a group of people that were going to be doing that with us. And so we, it, my son's whole pregnancy was marked by the planning and preparing to move. And so we'd actually put our house up for sale. Um, the night before he died, we had a showing in our house, which is just like it, a weird, bizarre little detail. <laughs> it feels mm -hmm. just so strange. Um, you know, like how your life can go from like, so normal to uh, everything is unhinged yeah. in just a matter of hours. Um, and so one of the reasons why I didn't see counsel is because we moved just a few months after he died. Again, that would be another thing I would never, ever counsel a woman to do. Like we left our support system. We left everything that felt comfortable and safe. And at the time I just wanted, I wanted to be away from anything that reminded me of death and, um, him, because I was so scared of dealing with the grief. I was so I did not want to be, I did not want this story. I did not want to be the mom who had buried a son. Like How I did didn't you want... even like get up the next day. I mean, is, is it because oh, of man. Andrew or like, how do you even start to like function? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, what's a really surprising element to losing anyone in our life um, and walking through trauma and grief is that you actually survive. <laughs> like it feels like a horror that you, that a mom would still be alive. Like you, you just, there's nothing in you that wants to be. Um, and everything that you thought was true, like babies aren't supposed to die, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing about that. That's natural. And so death is natural. Like, and then in also that to ha have no explanation for it. Mm -hmm. Right. So how do yeah. you, wrap your head around that too, mm -hmm. right? It's one yeah. thing if you can say, oh, because of X, Y, Z or whatever, but. Like, yeah. And the, and the lack of explanation actually added to guilt that I would, I would carry for many years and probably p parts of me still do in that, like I could have done something to stop this. Um, you know, like your mind can play with the, the what ifs, mm -hmm. but how, how I got up the next day is that you well, there's, there's things that I'd never did again. Like we didn't go back to my house. Now that's like a funny part of our story. Like I just couldn't go back there. I'm very visual. I'm a creative at, at heart. And so, um, it, it felt like I would, I would really, that would be my end to go back into the house where he had been and where he had died. And so, um, we, I left from the hospital where they said, 
your son is not alive. Mm-hmm. Um, I left the hospital and went straight to my, um, my, my in-laws house. And there I basically moved in for the next like three or four months. Um, we went back to our home just enough to pack it up to move. Um, and I had people there with me to try to like help ease that. Mm-hmm. Um, again, there's no, like, there's no right way to do this. And I know many people who would, that's not what would be the best step for them. But for me, I could not go back to our home. Um, and I did have this 17 month old who, um, I needed help parenting because at that point I I was thrown into this, um, this narrative in my brain that I was the reason my son had died. And so therefore my older son would also die if I was the one caring Mm -hmm. for him. And I don't, it took a long time for me to say those words out loud so nobody could have like spoken truth to that. Cause they didn't know I was thinking that, but I just kind of like gave over parental rights, <laughs> not really not on paper, but, um, to my mother-in-law who, who was just a godsend in that season. And, um, she just loved him and cared for him. Um, because I was just so, I was so afraid that I would also hurt like somehow that it was like, I would, he, something would happen to him. It would be my fault. Yeah. Um, so why I didn't seek therapy, I think we were in the middle of, you know, starting this church. I think there was a, um, a lot of expectations that I put on myself about what it meant to be a pastor's wife and that I should be okay. And, um, if I wasn't okay, then we wouldn't be able to go do this, but we've been planning to do this for over a year and like those kinds of things. And I never verbalized any of that. Um, I also am very, I don't know if I've never really talked about this before. I really compartmentalize things. So my grief, I could like kind of shut that part of my brain off. I think that's because of some childhood traumas. I'm actually working through that in therapy Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm able to just like function so I can just like shut that piece off. And so, and I I knew that stop you right there, Ashley. Sorry for anybody who's listening, who can recognize that in themselves as well. That is a very common protection mechanism Mm -hmm. and is not something to be ashamed of. But if you can recognize that in yourself, then you can also start to get help in, in healing that. So Mm -hmm. I just want to mention that you can go ahead. Yeah. And, and that is, I think, um, that's what my counselor is saying that that is a, just a protection mechanism and that's how I survived. And, and she's said, you know, in some instances, that's good. Like it may, it meant that I got out of bed the next morning, right? Like totally. there are things about that that are helpful that, you know, maybe God even put in us to survive. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, I think that also kept me from seeing the need of like, I need to actually deal with this trauma. I I'm the one who found my son dead. Like I need to, I need to deal with that. (laughs) Like there was like pieces of that, that were just so awful. They're not, they're not actually words to describe it. Heinous, like tragic, like there's just, um, and I, I didn't because of that. I think I just, I didn't, know that I needed it. I didn't know how to like say I needed it. I couldn't recognize that myself. And then also I didn't know who to trust. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know, you know, we're new in this new town. Um, so I think that was a part of it. Um, again, I had very few people. This is like, think about this. This is back in 2009, early 2009. He died in 2008, 
early 2009, the internet is like kind of just starting to be what it is. Right. There was like, I found Angie Smith's blog. Um, I don't know if anybody's familiar with her, her daughter, um, had a life limiting diagnosis. So she was given a diagnosis while she was still pregnant. Your daughter probably will not live long after your, your she's born. And so I read that blog. That was the only thing I could find at the time. Um, and then I had one friend who had experienced a stillbirth, um, which is a whole nother kind of like awful tragic loss, but still different, a little bit different than even some of the traumas I was experiencing. Yeah. And so I didn't know where to turn for help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, those expectations that I had on myself and I felt maybe even from others who I trusted at the time, they, I think they meant well, but I don't know that they knew how to help. So all of those things were kind of like a, um, a perfect storm for me, not getting help for many years. Um, it would probably be five ish to six years before I got counseling and I've had different kinds of counseling since then. And all of them have served a different kind of purpose and they've all been wonderful, um, I haven't had a bad counseling experience. I think I learned something about myself in each of them. Um, something that was very, very helpful. If anyone's listening, who has had, um, any kind of like traumatic experience. So for me, um, there's a lot of memories surrounding the morning that he, my son died. Um, and so I did have PTSD around that. And I think for a long time, I thought PTSD was just something that happened to like soldiers who went off to war. And I had no idea that it's some, it, any of us can have it's post-traumatic, <laughs> you know, so any yeah. kind of trauma. Um, and it actually wasn't until I had somebody on my podcast, um, I was interviewing her and she was talking about the special therapy that she was doing. And she explained trauma and what that looks like in her and the physical symptoms of that. And I was like, oh my goodness, that sounds like me. Mm-hmm. Random things like how I could never check on my own children while they were sleeping. Um, I was just too afraid of ever finding another child not alive. And um, so I would like call my husband at work if one of the babies was sleeping too long. Again, this is like pre great monitors. Like my baby, the two-year-old, she had like the foot monitor, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the camera and all that, but this is before that. And so I would call my husband at work and be like, I'm going to need you to come home and check on the baby. Like she's sleeping too long. And, Mm -hmm. um, anyway, I, so that I was able to get some therapy for that, um, called EMDR. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, like a rapid eye movement therapy. Yeah. And, I didn't know what to think, but I was willing to do anything. And I did that right before my daughter was born because I was just, my midwives actually said, we will not deliver you, um, here at this birth center. If you are still dealing with some of these, like you need some help before you're, because it's going to affect your labor, um, Mm -hmm. and even your postpartum and, um, and they were right. And I, I'm so grateful that they made, they pushed for me to get some extra help. And so I, that was just recently that that specific kind of therapy, that was a really long way of answering that question, but <laughs> hopefully there was something in there that was helpful. Yes, definitely. And how did you feel that your husband and you were kind of mourning in the same way or grieving in the same way, or was that something that was, you know, that you felt you were feeling one way and he was feeling another. Cause oftentimes people feel that with their partner or their spouse, that it's not necessarily equal, equally mm-hmm. painful or, or they're showing up in the same way, or you're not as sad as I am or whatnot. Did you guys have any of that between you or did you feel like he was 
feeling it just as much as you were in the same way. We absolutely struggled <laughs> in this area. Um, I am a firm believer that no two people grieve the same way, not even two people who are grieving the same loss. And the more and more women that I have talked to about that specific question, the more and more I find that that is true. Um, I think that there, no, we did not grieve the same way, nor did we grieve in the same, like at, on the same timeline. So, right. um, and I'm, I can share what that looked like for us, but it's going to look different for every couple. Um, yeah. and, and even family members, I think, um, just, I would assume that they are like, this is a great, in my mind, uh, a way I wish I would have thought about it. Like assume the best, assume that they are grieving, even when it looks like they're not. And, um, some things that I've learned along the way, um, my husband, and I've had a lot of conversations about that, um, trying to help other couples navigate it because it is so challenging. But so uh, common. So uh, oh, the reason it's I bring so that common. up is I want anybody who's listening, whether it's early stage miscarriage, stillbirth, infant loss, whatever, you are not alone in feeling that mm -hmm. you're not on the same page with that mourning grieving process. So Absolutely. Continue yeah. actually. Yeah. And I think even he grieved our, our miscarriage differently than he, um, but he did grieve, like he mm -hmm. outwardly grieved. Whereas I know a lot of men who are completely broken, but they don't know how to show it. Um, it's unfortunate that many men today who are in this season of becoming fathers and are walking through some of these, um, moments of grief are, they don't know how to deal with the emotions and, and our culture has told them that it's not okay to have those emotional responses that would maybe feel a little bit more comforting or familiar to us. Um, but I, I would just encourage you to assume that they are grieving. I think for miscarriage, it's a little, it's harder for the husband, for the, for the father to fully engage that loss because they weren't the ones that were physically pregnant. It's just, it is harder for them to, um, to understand some of the elements that you are like some of the pieces of your story that feel really hard. And so communicating that is really helpful, but I caveat that with saying some of the things that I've learned over the years are giving our husbands or partners, spouses, the space to know um, or to get them there, meaning some of them don't know how to communicate things. And so if, if I go to my husband and I am just a complete disaster, which is, this has happened a lot. And, and then he doesn't respond in the way that I think he should be responding. Like, as in, he's not, he doesn't look like me. He's not crying. He's not falling apart. Sometimes he looks a little shell-shocked. Like, what am I supposed to say right now? I've learned over the years that it goes better if I'm like, I, I tell him I'm having a really hard time. Can we talk about this? Like later tonight, it gives, or to even texting him at work. Like I'm, I'm having a really hard day today. Like, um, you know, it can even be, we're coming up on eight, my, our son's birthday or his anniversary or something, you know, I'm having a really hard time. Can we talk about this later? It gives him it, it this has really been helpful in our marriage is that it gives him the space to like be in that mindset when we have that conversation so that he's prepared for it. So that's been really helpful. I, I don't that's know. That's great advice. 
I also, because yeah, I don't know about you, but my husband does not like to be taken off guard. Like he, he wants to be this like protector, strong guy. And so if he's take, if he's like caught off guard, he has a really hard time, um, really opening up and feeling safe to be vulnerable about how he's really doing. So that has been helpful. Like giving him the, Hey, I really want to talk about this. It helps him to know that that's coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Obviously that's not a perfect system because there's going to, and you should, as the as the grieving woman should feel the freedom to always go to the person you love. If you're having a hard time, that's just like a little bit of advice that has worked for us. The other thing, my husband let me know, this is like years later was just like, I felt like I needed to be strong for you. I was so afraid that if I wasn't, that you would just completely fall apart. Mm -hmm. He says that to me years later, what I wanted in the moment though, was to see him fall apart. Like I need, because that would have like, affirmed in me that I wasn't crazy, that it was okay to feel all of these feelings. Um, and so my encouragement to you is to just have those conversations Yeah, and it, it's so difficult. Um, I will also say in regards to our miscarriage years later, my husband is, was like, grief was grieving that loss. Yeah. Like it, he was like, we should have one more like that. Mm-hmm. Like when he talks about our family, he says that we have six kids. Mm-hmm. My husband does. So I don't, I say that to anyone so that anyone listening can hear me say it takes time for some people to get there and it may take time for you as the mom to get there. And it may take time for you, your spouse or partner to get there. It may also take time for the people around you, your, the grandparents, your closest friends. Um, but my encouragement would be to keep having the conversations as awkward and difficult as they are. They're worth having, um, they're worth having but they're awkward. They're so awkward. So just, you're not alone in that. They are. And you bring up such a good point that literally, I think it was days ago, my husband and I were talking about this as well. And the point of them feeling the need to be strong for us. Right. Mm -hmm. And he, he was telling me, you know, as the anxiety that he would have going into the doctor's offices every time of making sure that, but knowing that, okay, is she okay? If I'm feeling this way, how much, how must she be feeling? Are, are mm-hmm. we going to see a heartbeat? Are we not? What's happening? And so it's almost like this whole group of men that are suffering in silence because they're trying to be strong for us. And it, you know, makes me emotional, not only for all those men that are sitting in waiting rooms, supporting us so strongly and so bravely every day, but also for my boys and knowing yeah. like, what's the right way to to raise them to know, yes, we, we, we need men in our lives. We want men and they are, you know, we wouldn't, I wouldn't be in the home I'm in right now if a man, men didn't physically build it. Right. And so I'm so grateful for that, but at the same time, it's okay to be open and honest and communicate how you're feeling along the way, because you're not going to be judged. You're not going to, you're not going to come across as supporting me less or, whatever it may be. And I think just opening up that conversation with your partner, your spouse, whoever it is in your life that is feeling the need to be that strong person for you, to let them know that it's okay to not be okay sometimes for me. Absolutely. You know, and just letting them, because this is a whole new movement of generation of us 
telling the men that it's okay to feel things, right? Mm -hmm. The the ones before that, it it really wasn't okay. They never had that conversation to say it's okay. And we want them to know that it's okay. And we know that they're suffering as well, even though it may not look the same way that it looks for us. But keeping that in mind in whatever way that your specific situation may look, they probably are struggling in some way. And maybe Mm -hmm. even offering them you know, maybe there's someone at church you can talk to, or you go out with your buddy who, or talk to so-and-so's husband that, you know, they've been through it because that's the other thing, whether it's fertility or miscarriage or any sort of loss, they don't really feel that they have the people to talk to like women do so much. So I just wanted to take a pause and, and really kind of drive that home so that, you can give an extra hug to the man in your life to know Absolutely. that you know you you feel their pain and as well along this journey yeah and i think just it, it doesn't have to be this like long intense hours long conversation it can be like hey i just want you to know it's okay if you cry in front of me it might actually help you know yeah. Or it's okay to have feelings about this. It's okay to be angry or frustrated or whatever you're like, you can, this is a safe place. You don't have to be strong for me. I think that might just open up worlds of in more in, in-depth intimacy because go, walking through any kind of loss, um, I would probably, I would put infertility into that category infertility, first trimester loss, like any of any of it is very, very difficult for a marriage to withstand. Um, and the more that you can, it is very difficult, but it is not impossible. And I believe that you can come out on the other side of that with truer, deeper intimacy. And I, I do believe that, but you've got to like do the hard part, which is like opening up to each other and being willing to be vulnerable and have those conversations and sit in the awkward and yeah. Yeah. And you will come out stronger on the other end if you do sit through that awkwardness and and vulnerability. So is there any other advice you would give for somebody who maybe has experienced loss again at any, any part of the spectrum of, you know, how to kind of find the strength to move forward or kind of what to do next? I know that there's that, feeling of one I've heard so often of the guilt that you, you mentioned, I did this, mm-hmm. it's my fault. What, what if this happens again to, you know, you also want it so badly to, to, to build your family again, you know? Yeah. So it's such a, a, a strange experience to go through, right? There's so much fear in having that, but at the same time you want it so much. What would you, what advice would you give for somebody who's going through this period of their life right now? Well, first, um, you didn't do anything to cause this. Um, I think the guilt is, is very real, but it is not, um, it's not an honest, it's not true. It's not a real picture of real meaning. I understand that you're feeling it. Um, but it's not an honest picture, a true picture of, of who you are, what you, of the situation. So this isn't your fault. That would be my first thought. My second thought is you're not alone in this. I know it can feel like you are on an island and that nobody understands and um, that there's no possible way you could even go on. Like there are moments that feel like that. And I just want you to hear me say like, you're not alone. 
in that. Um, I know what you're feeling. <laughs> um, I've been there. Um, and that there is hope on the other side. Like there is hope and joy to be had. You know, I feel like I'm sitting here. I'm, I can be proof of that, you know, 13 years later, um, there is joy. I was just thinking, um, I was working on a podcast earlier today, actually, um, getting an episode ready. And, um, the conversation was talking about how, when you experience loss like this and you, you think that it will always feel this heavy and this sad and, um, you don't want the new normal, right? Like I, I didn't want this to be my story. And I was afraid that I would always be the sad girl. Um, and that people would always look at me with pity in their eyes, um, or ignore me and run the other way. Cause they don't know what to say. Um, but I think, you know, after all these years, I can say that that isn't how it goes. Like you will not be the same person, but that doesn't have to be bad. Like there is good to be had here. So if you're specifically asking about, are you specifically asking about encouragement or hope for somebody who wants to try to have another baby or, um, yeah, is that, yes. Or just in general. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think for that, you know, what's the, what's the first question we ask after we experience the loss of a baby, how soon can I get pregnant again? Right. Like generally for most of us, that's, I remember looking at the doctor right in the face and saying, how soon can I try again? Um, my encouragement to you is take some time. It doesn't have to be a long time. I know we don't want to hear that because we want our baby. Take some time to grieve your loss. And that can look like different things. I, I encourage women to write, um, write out how they're feeling. Just spend some time grieving. Again, it doesn't have to be a long time, but just grieve the loss. Um, I don't think that that's also able, you can't like tie that up with a bow. So there's no like due date on that. Um, your grief doesn't necessarily, it doesn't end. Um, you're going to carry that loss and that memory with you. But, um, I do think it's important to actually like grieve. That's the thing I didn't do with my first loss, um, that I wish somebody had told me to do. And then I think you have the conversations you, I, I tell women that I think it's important to have that conversation about when is the right time to try again with three people, your partner first, like, are they on board? Do they think that this is a healthy, like next step for, for each of us personally and for our marriage or our partnership? And then I think you talk to your doctor, your, your medical team, like, do they think that that's a good idea? Um, and then my, the third one is to a counselor, or if you aren't seeing a counselor, a really close friend, who's going to actually tell you the truth. So not just the friend who like tells you what you want to hear, but like the friend who's going to like say the hard thing. And I say that because pregnancy after loss is after losing my son was the second hardest thing that I ever did because of the fear. And the, it brings up a lot of of the trauma and the triggers. And there's just so many different elements of it. And so you have to have that support system. That's going to actually be there and in your corner, um, to help you through it. And I think a counselor or really close friend can give some insight into like your emotional, mental well-being, And if you're ready, and if you're not, I'm not saying you wait forever or you close that door completely, but maybe you give it a few more weeks, you know, um, so those would be my first, like, just like very practical thoughts. 
my other, my, like my secondary thought is like, you can do this. It feels like climbing Mount Everest. (laughs) It feels like an impossible feat sometimes. At least that's what pregnancy after loss felt like for me. It just felt so tremendously difficult and like something I could not do. And I will tell you, you can do this. It is hard, but you, you can, you can do it. Um, and there's a, and you're not alone in that feeling that it's hard and you are not alone in this, like you can totally do it. So, um, well, I think that's all great advice and I appreciate (laughs) you sharing your story with us as, as, as practical as it is, it is, it's so true. And I think that that is a very good framework to start with for anybody who's thinking that, but also thank you for bringing your story of hope today to so many people with your beautiful family that you have now here Mm -hmm. and on the other side that will keep a little wink and a nod for Angel Aiden out there and all the others that are surrounding us in their, um, their journey above us now. But thank you so much for being here and how can people find you and, and be part of your community? Yeah. So if you go to the morning.com, like morning as in AM, not, <laughs> not morning, like M O U R. So the morning.com. Um, and that just comes from joy comes in the morning. So, um, the morning.com, you can find everything there that you need, um, on social media where the joyful morning. So, um, but that can be a little bit confusing. So, um, the morning is probably the best place to find us. Um, if you want to look for me, I'm Ashley profit. So, um, you can find me too, but I'm so grateful to have been here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Have a great rest of your week and we will be in touch. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pretty Little Tribe podcast. Follow up on Instagram at the Pretty Little Tribe or at Elizabeth King underscore coaching for updates, resources, and a community to connect with. If you are looking for extra support and tools to guide you along your TTC and parenting journey, visit elizabethking.com. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast everywhere you're listening for a chance to receive a special gift. Visit elizabethking.com backslash pretty little tribe podcast for more information on how to enter any review counts. I just appreciate your honest feedback so I can provide you with the best support possible in your TTC and parenthood journey. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week.